This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing well, Shotgun. Another week, another show. Good to be here. For any first-time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows, the USC Triple Double is a podcast focused on the Trojan men and women of Troy basketball programs. Each week, we break down all the latest action from both teams, as well as look forward to the upcoming matchups. This week, we'll be looking at a brilliant road trip for the women in Troy and another week of ups and downs for the men's team. Yes, but at least it's not down and downs, Shotgun. (laughs) It was a good week for the men to start things off. And then, of course, the Colorado game that ended in disappointing fashion, which we'll get into here. But, hey, we have a win to talk about. I'll take it right now. What about on the women's side? How do they do? Yeah, they did well. They started with a dominating win over Oregon. At halftime in that game, Juju Watkins had 24 points and everyone on Oregon had 21, (laughs) just a blitzkrieg. USC was shooting like 57% in the first half. It was a dominating, dominating 88 to 51 victory. And then Oregon State, the women, they didn't have to face off against Reagan Beers, the great center for the Beavers who got hurt against UCLA the game before taking a uh, elbow to the face. But the Beavers are a tough team, especially on the road, and USC won 58-50. to Mackenzie Forbes was so clutch at the end of that game, hitting some shots. She had 13 points. Juju Watkins, probably her worst game of the year on offense, 6 of 32 from the field, but still scored 18 points and had 11 rebounds. It's a nice team win for the Trojans. Should I get into the men now, Shotgun? Sure, go ahead. Like I said, they started off the week well, 68-64, nice win over Utah, Joshua Morgan was the hero with that block at the end of the game. Utah was trying to tie things up. Morgan said, not today. USC on offense, they got stuck on 66 points with three minutes, 46 seconds to go. They didn't score until DJ Rodman picked up the block that 
Morgan had and took it for a layup as time expired to give the team the four-point win. So it was touch and go there at the end, but USC hung on. Isaiah Collier with a team-high 15 points. He was 3-3 from the free throw line, which is good, 6-15 from the floor, five rebounds, six assists. He's playing really good basketball right now. So that was good to see. And then the next game looked like USC was going to get the sweep of the Mountain Schools at home, up by 16 with about nine minutes to go. And we all know what happened the rest of the way. 24-8 to run for the Buffaloes, which culminated in a dunk right at the end of regulation that was just way too easy, tied the game. Overtime, USC plays okay in that first overtime. Then we get second overtime. Isaiah Collier was the hero in the first overtime, hitting a nice shot, but they just ran out of gas, lose in double overtime, 92-89. to Boogie Ellis scored 30 points, but so did K.J. Simpson on Colorado. He hit a lot of big shots for them. Isaiah Collier had another fantastic game. I don't want to say all for not because I think every time he plays well, that's going to help his drafts, draft stock. Excuse me. So, of course, not all for not. But 25 points, nine assists, the nine assists were a season high for him. So some positives from a very, very disappointing game, which yeah, we'll, we'll get into. We'll break down all the both of those games. We'll break down the women's games as well. But first, we've got to get into this week's guests. We now welcome in this week's guest, USC men's assistant coach Jay Morris. Jay, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you guys for having me on this morning. Glad to get you back on the show. You guys have been watching this team this season, and there's been so many ups and downs, and it's been such a, a peak and valley type of environment and opportunities where we think, all right, they, they finally figured it out and they're starting to move forward. And we've seen some flashes the last couple of games that make you think that, okay, they're starting to, to get things together. They finally got everyone healthy. To you, what's been the outlook for you the last couple of weeks where you guys have played some better basketball, but also have still given away, you know, given away a game in overtime or double overtime um, and, and, you know, trying to figure out, find ways to win while still kind of getting used to each other? Is that is that a correct uh, assessment of, of you guys? The fact that you haven't played all season, are you still trying to, to find ways to for guys to, to play together? Definitely. Unfortunately, uh, this late in the, the season, we're still in the figuring out process. But as you said, we have played better as of late. Unfortunately, it hasn't consistently shown up um, with W's in the, in the win and loss column. But uh, I do think we're playing better basketball, especially on the offensive end. If you look, our turnovers have gone way down. And when you don't turn the ball over, you're going to have chances to win games. Uh, we have corrected that that part of uh, of our inefficiencies that we had early in the season and um uh we just we haven't been able to come up with with critical stops on the defensive end when we really need them and 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 sometimes even though we've had low turnover games if you turn the ball over once in the wrong spot of the game it could change the whole momentum and trajectory of that game so i think we've had some untimely turnovers even though we haven't turned the ball over a lot and then we're uh, still trying to find creative ways on the defensive end to get stops when needed Jay, it seems like Isaiah Collier's taken a step forward since missing those games with the hand injury. A little bit of an adjustment period in that first half against Cal, but the last three and a half games, he's been awesome. What did he do while he was hurt that's allowed him to take this jump? Because a lot of times when guys miss time like this, it, it takes him some time to get back into the swing of things, and he seems a lot better. Yeah, I think he kind of just hit the reset button. You know, I th- think when, you know, he, he he graduated high school early to come here. Sometimes when you jump in that fast, you don't have a, a a time to really process things. And he hit the ground running. I mean, he did some good things early, but again, his, his turnover number was very high at the beginning of the season. And somebody with plays plays with that much pressure on their shoulder from the outside world, um, without having a chance to digest it, it could you know build on you. So I think that timeout 
it probably wasn't great for our team because we we lost some games. We we weren't able to get to the free throw line and do some of the good things that he done. But I think for his personal development and growth in the game, it allowed him to see it from a, another angle, sitting on the bench, and then just kind of hit the reset button. Uh, I mean, he's come out and played really well on the offensive end of the floor since he's been back. Yeah, in particular, the the turnovers have really stood out. I mean, early in the season, he was having six, seven turnovers. Uh, obviously, the ball's in his hands a ton, but he's taking the care of the ball so much better the last few games. What was the message while he was out to to really focus on that and for him to hone in on the turnovers and, and do a better job of taking care of the basketball? Uh, the message has always been the, the the message to him and our whole team. If you don't turn the ball over, you're going to have a chance to win games. But again, for him, um, and not just him, any freshman, the, the game is totally different from when you go from being in high school and being maybe the only Division One player on the floor to now you're playing it's, it's nine other good guys on the floor at, at a time. And the game is faster. The guys are bigger. And so sometimes it just takes time being out there to see it, understand it, be able to process it and apply it. And usually younger players, when they hit a certain point in the season, um, the game slows down. And I think him sitting down for a second, as well as him understanding that what was going on early in the season is not conducive to winning. I think that's allowed him to play better as of late. How about with Kobe? He's playing better, too. He's an older guy. He was in a little bit of an offensive funk. How do you work with a guy like that who proved last year he's better than he's shown this year? And just what's been the key for him snapping out of it? Think I think I mentioned it when I was on last time the the social media and the internet it puts so much pressure on these guys and you start seeing you know Kobe wasn't a, a highly uh, regarded recruit and so you go from somebody like that to now your name's on the, on the draft boards and internally that that does something to you and so I think there was a lot of pressure on uh, probably he put on himself he didn't tell me that but just being in this game for a while and seeing the psychological effects that different things have on these guys. That's what I'm assuming. You know, you you, you see that you're potentially that close to achieving your, your, your lifelong and childhood dream. Um, you know, there's, there are some things um, that, that take place. And I think, you know, with the early in the season struggles, again, he, he sat down uh, as well. And um, I think when, when, when you're hit with that reality, sometimes it allows you to take a deep breath and hit the reset button. And I think he was able to do that. And he's come out and played his last couple of games like he was playing early in the year because he did start off really well for us early before he got injured. And then, you know, how he did last year, he's, he's getting some steals, getting out in transition, getting some easy buckets, um, some swing, swing threes instead of, you know, he hasn't really settled on the isolation situations, which he had been. Um, in the middle part of the season when he was struggling. So I think he's shooting the the, the easy shots that he's getting, and uh, he's been a little more locked in defensively, which has allowed him to get some stops and some steals, which he's really good at, and get out and get some easy buckets in transition. As well, it seems like every one of these guys we're talking about is, is, is seeing some improvement at this time of the season. Boogie Ellis, how good was it to see him kind of break out after you know, he comes back from the hamstring injury and it just – the explosiveness isn't there and his scoring followed suit. We didn't see him score as much as he had been and was struggling to shoot. Looked like he was struggling to get a little bit of lift on the shot to finally break out in that last game and put up a 30 spot. How much confidence does that give you about his potential for the rest of the season and what his potential means for the team? Because he's been, you need him to be that scoring guy for you. Yeah. The way our, the way our team is set up for us to have, a chance to win, Boogie has to score for us. But more importantly than our team, I was just happy for Boogie's own 
personal sake that he had a, a good game. He's a, a young man that um, puts basketball, you know, very, very high up on the list of importance in his life. When you struggle in something that you care so much about, it, it could have other effects on you. And you see like all of the players having, you know, the, you know, mental, mental issues are, are a real thing. And so I, I just want Boogie to, you know, do good in basketball for his own personal sake. And then for our team, like I said, for our team to be good, Boogie needs to be good on the offensive end of the floor, uh, most importantly. And him coming to life the other night, I think um, it gives us some some excitement, something to, you know, get us up as we, you know, head down the, the, the last few games of the season and into the conference tournament. So him him playing well the other night, giving us a chance to win, uh, definitely bodes well for, for him and our team. Jay, at the end of these last two games, we've seen the offense play well in the second half, and then at the end of the game sort of become a little stagnant. I know that's really tough to practice, those high-pressure situations. You can't really replicate what happens at the end of a game in practice. What can your group do to improve on offense at the end of some of these tight games? Hmm. We just got to execute. You know, We got to execute, and the ball has to go in. We had some shots that were right at the rim that we made earlier in the game that allowed us to get a 16-point lead, and down the stretch, those those shots didn't go in. And I think that just is um, it, it's an effect from our whole season, right? We, we haven't been in a ton of – close games like that, um, you know, in those types of environments where you win them and you win those games earlier in the season, it gives you confidence down the latter part of the season to win those games. And we haven't been in a lot of those, you know, some of the big games that we had scheduled, we weren't necessarily in the game when it was time to win. And so um, ultimately to be able to be good in those situations, you have to experience some success. And we just haven't experienced success in those types of situations this year. And, it only takes one game. It only takes one game. If you if you have one game and you, you like that and you win it, uh, you can end up in the, the next game like that and you you have recent success and you can rest on that out of what you did to 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 help you power you through that and you win a couple of them and it could spark you and you could go on a, on a run and that's all we really have to play for uh, right now. So so um, we got to prepare for UCLA. Hopefully we blow them out, but if it's a close game, we find a way to win it. That could do miracles for our season. Well, you might want to blow them out, but fans would love to just stab a dagger in UCLA hearts, you know, with, with a, a Jonah Matthews three or a Taj ED corner three. You know, they love the, those uh, type of situations. So, you know, if you're going to get one of those type of games and, you know, to be able to build on going forward, it might as well be against your rival this weekend playing UCLA. What's the biggest thing that you guys have learned from the first time you play in UCLA? I know you're healthier now. I think that definitely helps. Um, but they're a team that, was in a similar situation. You guys struggled the first you know, month and a half, two months of the season up and down, and then have put it together and have played much better basketball. Uh, what have you, what do you learn from watching across the, the city and seeing them having more success recently? And how do you try to, you know, find a way to get, to get over the top on them this weekend? Well, we have to rebound the ball. UCLA does that. Um, and we haven't done a great job of doing that. Um, to be honest with you, all of the tech, all of that stuff goes out the window when you play a rivalry. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know the way that Coach Cronin coaches his team. They're going to be ready. They're going to be prepared. They're going to be tough. And for us to go in there and win on the road, we have to exceed their energy, their toughness. And um, quite honestly, we haven't been great at that this year. But not saying that we can't do it. If we if we can uh, find it within ourselves to go be the tougher team. 
keep them off the glass, limit second chance opportunities, which has have haunted us these last few weeks, uh, we can be successful. And 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 if you come watch us, our, our our practices, <laughs> our our practices, we're we're a very physical team, but we have to be able to do that when the lights come on, especially in a place like Poly Pavilion with the crosstown rivalry. This might be more of a question for Andy, but last year at UCLA, Harrison really helped spark the comeback that you guys had that ultimately fell just short. Is is that something that when you play UCLA on the road Saturday that the coaching staff will remember? And even though Harrison's been in and out of the rotation a little bit, could that be something that could get him in because he's proven that he can perform at a high level at UCLA in the past? Or is it more just about what have you done lately? Well, what got Harry in the game last year is that the guys in front of him weren't playing well, and that gave him an opportunity to get in. So if the guys in front of him aren't playing well and he gets that opportunity, trust me, we have total confidence in Harry that every time he shoots the ball, I think it is going in. And when you play with the guy that can stretch the floor like that against uh, UCLA's big man's pressure, um, it can it can be an asset to you. So um We've we've talked about a game plan. We haven't talked about rotations or, 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 or anything like that. But look, where we are in this season, whoever is playing the best, whoever is playing the hardest is going to play the most minutes. And uh, I think the same will remain on, on Saturday. I want to go back. You, you mentioned that if you come to practice, you guys are tough, but it's, it's not showing up in games. I know that's got to be frustrating as a coach. How do you try to create that connection to where it does show up in games um, if you're getting something in practice, whether it's toughness, whether it's you know free throw shooting, there's an element that is, is, is going well in practice but not going well in a game. How as a coaching staff do you go about trying to create the connection to make it happen in games? Uh, trust me, we've all coached at college for a long time. We've been as gimmicky as possible to try to get the everything in practice to translate into the games. Um you know, ultimately, the the guys on the floor have have to do it, and uh, they are they are capable. Um, but again, our season has been so up and down, and when you don't continually maintain success, it is is it is hard to be you know consistent at what you do on the floor. And so, so one guy may play tough this game, and and something may happen you know the next game where he's not as tough, and then it's hard to build that going forward. So. Trust me, the the message is being uh, relayed to them how important it is. the The message is understood because we show film that you know this is what you have to do to win. Unfortunately, uh, we just haven't come up on the right side of the column. But again, um, I've said this last time. You know, you see some of these coaches in, in in the media coming out saying their team is quit and their team this, that, and the other. We had a really good practice on Monday, and after experiencing the loss like we did against Colorado, it had been so easy for those guys to come in and 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 not compete and not play hard and not understand what we're trying to get them to do. And they were the total opposite of that. So I, I commend our group. That gives me hope that we can turn the corner and, and win four games in our conference tournament because they are still eager to learn. They are still eager to play. They still like being around each other. They are – you know, their ears are open. They want to be coached. And so it is a good group of guys. And I wouldn't rather be in a situation like this doing with the team that we have. Um, I commend them. I commend our coaching staff for 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 sticking in it. We showing up every day. And like I said, we've come up with all kind of different drills and things to try to get it out of them. And hopefully all of that connects and we uh, have some positivity and in, in, in going forward. And Hopefully this ends up being a season to talk about in the future. You talk about the struggles early and the, the miracle that happened late. 
based on just how the last UCLA game went, do you think the team has a chip on their shoulder this week? And I'm sure with the rivalry game, everyone's always going to be motivated, but I'm sure there were some frustrated uh, players in the locker room after that last UCLA game. How, how uh, motivated is the team this week? And, and just fill me in on the chip that they have on their shoulder. Yeah, again, you're you're, you're going to always be motivated by your 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 rival. Um, but if you're not motivated by all of the other things that have happened this year, you're probably not right to be on this team. And so, not only is it UCLA, it's everything else that has gone into this season that it, that is the motivating factor and the driving factor for us this week. You prefer playing a rivalry game at home or on the road? <laughs> it, probably, it probably depends on where, where you are in, in, in the season. You know, if, you, if you're <laughs> winning well and, and you're playing well, uh, I mean, it, it's great to go stick a dagger in them guys on the road. Um, but it's also, you know, your, your home crowd's energy. Like, you know, this is my my third season here. And, and when, when you play UCLA at 7 o'clock and you pull up at 1030 and it's already a line outside, that gives you chills as well. So, uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Uh, anytime you win, wherever it is, it's going to be a great feeling. Anyone practicing particularly well, Coach? You mentioned Monday having a great practice. Anyone you want to shout out or will we just have to see Saturday? Yeah, like I said, we've had good practices all year. I don't think that our practices have been the problem or an indicator of, uh, you know, the un- unsuccessful part of our season. So, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to name names because I I say that and they don't go play well. It sounds like I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about. So hopefully, um, if guys are practicing well or not, they show up on Saturday. Everybody has a good game, and I know Shotgun. You said a, a close one with a dagger shot. I'll take a blowout. Trust me. <laughs> I'm sure that you would, because then you know the team is playing really well. Last one for you. What gives you confidence that this team can put it together and make a run here at the end of the season? What is there something you can point to either in the last couple of games or just the overarching uh, season that gives you confidence that everything is not gone the way it's supposed to go this year, but we still can put this together, and this is why. Yeah, it's been our 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 mantra all year to our team to not turn the ball over, and at first. It wasn't uh, being applied in the games, and now it is. So, so, so they're listening. Our best player just broke out of his slump. Hopefully, and had your our best offensive player, I should say, Boogie Ellis, and our our leader had had thirty points the other night. He scores thirty, that gives you a chance to win. Kobe is getting back to his original self. DJ Rodman had a fourteen rebound game a couple weeks ago against Oregon State. Josh Morgan's had a ten block shot game this year. So we have the pieces in the room. They could get us there. Um, they're great young men. They like being around each other. They're, they're, they're very cohesive with what's, what's going on. And so all of those things combined um, give me hope that, that that things can get turned around. Well, we hope to see it on the court starting on Saturday against UCLA. A blowout or a dagger to the heart. You know, either one. I'm sure the USC fans will love to see either one of those. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast. Appreciate y'all. Fight on. With that, we'll jump into our break, and then Connor and I will return to take a little bit deeper look at last week's action for the USC men and women and also look forward to this upcoming weekend of matchups. Really big weekend for both the men and women. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform, whichever one you pick. It doesn't matter. We just want to get our reviews out there. We want to help grow the show. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the triple-double, the basketball pod, the one with Connor talking about not football, whatever, in the <laughs> headline to make sure it gets directed at us. Well, now, uh, you coming away from that interview, Connor, what stood out to you from our, our chat with Jay Morris? Well, like most seasons, very excited about the UCLA game. And to me, it just feels like this is USC's, I don't want to say their last chance at a statement, but and turning points can come in all shapes and sizes, but it seems like this is an opportunity for them where it's too late to truly turn the season around. It's all going to be the PAC 12 tournament, but this could give some guys on this team, like a memory. This could just give fans something to to be happy about. The team seems locked in good week of practice. I think they're really focusing on this game as something that could potentially turn the season around. And in a year that's been such an up and down year, I think that's a smart strategy. So We'll see. Practices have been going well. Now they just got to play well, and that hasn't always happened. It's never a bad time to beat your rival. Yeah. You know, so might as well, if you're going to start a stretch, a streak, a run, whatever, might as well start with beating your rival. Uh, so so that's definitely something that, you know, listening to him chat about that. Um, you mentioned how he talked about how things haven't necessarily translated, and if they feel like they're good. And that's something I've heard throughout the season as well. Like, yeah, we had a great, great week of practice or – Hearing they had great week of practice, and then you come out and it's just flat, and you go, "What happened? Why does it not translate?" And that's got to be the most frustrating thing as a coach. Is all right, we think we've identified this issue. That's the first thing you got to identify your issues. We've attacked it in practice. We've done better in practice. Now it should be better in the game, right? No, not necessarily. And that's been a point of frustration. It seems like for the staff. Um, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned how the roster is constructed that Boogie needs to score. 
And that's something we've mentioned on the show before, but I don't think people realize. They're like, oh, if someone's not scoring, someone else steps up. No, that's his role. That's what they need him to be, not Kobe Johnson. Kobe Johnson is not the scorer. Kobe Johnson can't be the guy taking 20 shots in a game. That needs to be Boogie. That needs to be Isaiah Collier. And when someone's either hurt, like both those guys have been, or someone is just not performing to what you expected them because of an injury, like Boogie has been, then you're trying to put the onus on someone else and asking them to do something that's not their job. So you're trying to, you know, as a as a general manager style, you've constructed this roster like, all right, we got this three-point shooter that's going to be able to knock down the corner three when this guy drives, and you're building all these pieces that try to go together, and it hasn't worked because certain pieces have either been out or been banged up and not performed to what you expected of them. So getting Boogie going, I think, is huge for them. One, because they scored 50 points against UCLA. Boogie can put up 30 on his own. So, you know, can the rest of the team score more than 20? You know, can they score 30 in a game? I, I think so. So, um, you know, we'll see if if he can continue what he did. But let's jump into our, our triple-double. You know, what were your positives, your three positives, since we're talking about the men? We'll start with them. Three positives from the men, and we'll get to our two negatives a little bit later. Great segue because I thought it was interesting how Jay Morris said Isaiah Collier resting, and even though he was hurt, just that break was beneficial for him. And he's my first up. 20 points per game over the last two for USC, seven assists he's averaging, and then just one and a half turnovers. And in the interview, that was a big talking point as well, just how the turnovers have gone down. And he just looks like a different player shotgun, which is really interesting because – like I said, when we were talking to Jay, sometimes you out for six games and you're just in a funk. And I think his funk lasted for the first half against Cal. And now he's back and playing really, really good basketball. So I start with him. And then defensively against Utah, I thought USC did some really nice things. Davon Smith, it looked like he was going to have a career night. He scored his 19th point with 13 minutes and 54 seconds left. He's the Utah point guard. And then he didn't score again. USC did a nice job of tightening things up on him. They had seven total blocks, including Morgan's at the end. And Utah had a number of scoring droughts. USC's offense wasn't great in that one at the end, but they won that one on defense, which was encouraging. And then my last up, it has to be Boogie being back, even though USC falls to Colorado. Him going 10 of 19, 5 of 9 from 3 for 30 points. Huge. Because if USC is going to do anything in the Pac-12 tournament, like you said earlier, and like Jay hit on, Boogie needs to score. Maybe they can squeak out a game where he has a poor performance and they can get to the next round. But consistently, if this team is going to win the Pac-12 tournament, which I think we all agree would be a miracle right now, it needs to be Boogie Ellis leading the charge. So him getting 30 points, looking healthy, that's huge for this team. Yeah, I mean, the three-point shooting has been something that he struggled with since coming back from from the injury. Um, You know, he missed a couple of games. And then when he came back, it, it wasn't the same. I just don't think he had the lift on the shot. He shot 25%. You know, this is a guy that was shooting close to 50% before the injury. So 25.6% from three-point range uh, from January 27th through, you know, the Utah game. So for him to make five and nine against Colorado. Now, the disappointing thing is that he missed a couple late that he had opportunities on. You know, he's been shooting well. You think, oh, he's going to make it. And he had some open looks and couldn't knock him down. So that was disappointing for for USC. But I I think it is definitely a positive, his shooting in particular, being back. Um, I I thought winning the the Utah game on defense, I thought was a positive, you know, especially how long we talked about how bad the defense was this season compared to where it has been in the past. Joshua Morgan, nine blocks this week. 
We've seen his playing time tick up. You know, he he's not going to give you a ton on the offensive end. He struggles to catch the ball at times. He can knock down the mid-range jumper probably better than anybody, any of the other bigs right now. He's, he's been more consistent with that. But he's in the game to play defense. So if you can keep him in the game and out of foul trouble, you know, he, he's been a, a rim protector so much, and he grabs a couple of rebounds when no one else seems to grab any. Um, you know, he's been a difference maker for what he's doing, altering shots compared to what USC is getting from its other bigs at the rim in that regard. And then, you know, we're going to talk about Isaiah Carr in our juice section, so I'm going to save that and go with Kobe Johnson. I think the fact that he's stuffing the stat sheet is critical. Not that he, you know, it's great that he scored, what was it, 12 points early against Colorado. He only had two points the rest of the game. Uh, but, you know, he got off that great start. That's great. More importantly is four steals against Colorado, three rebounds, you know, it, only one turnover. Similarly, uh, against uh, Utah, he only had nine points, six rebounds, though, two assists, you know, one turnover. So fill the stat sheet up, do every, do a little bit of everything. That's what you need him to do. So him doing that the last couple of games and even before that, so I think that's a big positive for USC because that tells me he's getting back to the role we foresaw for him and the role that he has excelled in the last in last year and then the beginning of this season. So I think that's a big positive for USC to, to see that. What about on the negative side? What's what's the double portion of your triple-double? Well, got to start with the rebounding against Colorado. <laughs> Buffalo's <laughs> rebounded the Trojans 47-22. to 22. And the shocking thing, shotgun, so Colorado, they start six foot eleven center Eddie Lampkin. He averages seven rebounds per game. And then in the second half, the second half of the second half, when Colorado made their big comeback, he wasn't even in the game. They didn't need him to rebound. And he was sort of a liability on offense. So he sits. And even with this big behemoth of a player on the bench, USC still couldn't get any rebounds, which was a surprise to me. I guess nothing should surprise me with this team so far uh, when it comes to the glass. Tough night for Vinci Wachuku, 13 minutes, bagel, goose egg on the rebounds. Joshua Morgan had a, had four in 22 minutes. I, I think for him, that's that's okay. And but ideally you'd like to see a little bit more. It was just a, a very disappointing effort rebounding the ball. And I, I think that's a big reason why Colorado came back. And then my second one, the, the stagnant offense at the end of these games, the final three minutes and 46 seconds against Utah, USC was stuck on 66 until Joshua Morgan, or yeah, until Joshua Morgan had the block and DJ Rodman scored the layup as time expired to, to get him to 68 there. But you can't be scoreless for the last four minutes of a, of a game in a, in a, against a conference opponent and expect to consistently win. And then the 24 to eight run at the end against Colorado, the Colorado had against USC, like the offense was, was just stagnant. They weren't doing what they were doing earlier in the game. So I think when the pressure's heated up, it's gotten to this team at times. And if you head into a rivalry game, I, I don't know if there's like a magic fix. So I'm, I'm definitely nervous about that. I could foresee USC playing well, but under five minutes to go on the road against a rival, are they going to, tighten up on offense i could certainly see that happening based on how the last two games have gone yeah at the end of regulation usc had two field goals in the final 945 or so so basically for the whole entire second portion of the the, what would be the fourth quarter if (laughs) the men played quarters they had two baskets that's it's not gonna get it done that's how you go from being up 16 and I flipped the game on, so I'll take the blame for it. You know, <laughs> that's when I turned the game on 65 49. 
I'm walking out from, I think it was the men's bait or the USC baseball team losing. So I was like walking to my car. I'm like, well, at least the, the basketball team is winning. So fans won't be upset about everything tonight. Oh no. Oops. Oh, no. Whoopsie. <laughs> uh, but my two negatives, uh, the rebounding, you already mentioned it. it. It's just been terrible. Someone has to do better, but I, I think it's interesting. And it's just because people have come back, but uh, Ozai Sellers has disappeared. Yeah. I mean, he was so critical for them when Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier were out. But since they've returned, he's just disappeared. He, he played – I don't think he scored against uh, – he didn't, He played zero minutes against Utah. So that means he checked in and was out within a minute. Um, and then he played like four or five against Colorado. So I, I just feel like there is a role for him. I don't know why they're struggling so hard to find that role for him, but they, there should be a role for him. The way he played defense – the last couple games when he was getting full run, um, you know, and really taking a step up with his game and the fact that he can make shots. So when you're in a second half and it's your offense is so stagnant and you go almost 10 minutes with just two field goals, that seems like somebody you might want to throw in there. Like, Hey, we're, we're, we're going on a three minute stretch where we haven't scored. Let's try to throw Isaiah uh, Ozaya in there and see if we can run something for him and get him a shot. Cause he's, instant, Great point. he's a microwave. You know, he's yep. one of those type of guys, six man off the bench. As soon as he, as soon as Nick, uh, as soon as Nick Young steps in as a off the bench, he's shooting, right? As soon as Lou Williams comes in he's shooting, Lou Williams probably making Nick Young's probably missing, but um, <laughs> you know, th- those guys, it, it's rare that you have that ability where you can sit on the bench for a long time, just come in and like, all right, I can still make a shot. You know, sometimes you gotta get acclimated and all that. And that's the, a lot of times the reason why coaches do not want to put players in, in that type of situation, but Ozias shown that you can just throw him in there and his first shots is smooth, silky and a bucket. So I, I just think that that's a, that's a potential substitution pattern that could be changed to, to try to make an adjustment there. Um, let's move to the women's side though. We've talked a lot about the men here recently. Let's go to the women. We haven't discussed them since the beginning of the show. It feels like Connor great weekend for the women of Troy. They go to Oregon, and standing on business, as the kids like to say, took care of business against uh, against the Ducks, starting early in that one. What was the first quarter? It was, uh, it was a blowout from the first quarter, 29 to 7 in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, similarly, not as, as drastic of a point difference, but got out to a good start against Oregon State, too, 14-8 in the first quarter and really kind of set the tone. So, you know, what are your triple double from the women's performance? You know, they got up to a great start in both games, so that could definitely be in there. But there were a lot of positives when you go on the road, blow out an Oregon team that you're supposed to take care of, and then win uh, against Oregon State. Uh, another big win for them. Another team that's in the top, you know, 16 in the in the nation, and you've got another win against them. So now USC is probably rooting for Oregon State in the uh, conference stand or, or the rest of the regular season to to help them out in the conference standing since they'll have the tiebreaker against them. My first up, I'm calling it the Oregon Blitzkrieg because you mentioned the first half score and then at halftime, 57 to 21, Juju outscoring Oregon by herself. She had 24 points. USC shot 57% from the field. Oregon shot 27%. That's a scoreline that you never really expect, but like the fact that that happened on the road that was really big to me because you don't just go in there and do that. Even though Oregon and USC, they're just clearly different teams, but you don't go on the road against the PAC 12 team and do that unless you're a damn, damn good basketball team. So, you know, you don't want to take too much away from 
a good team beating up on a bad team, but how USC did that, oh, that was uh, significant to me. And then so in the Oregon State game, Juju struggled, only making the six field goals, taking 32 shots. But I thought that Talia Van Olhoffen did an excellent job of defending Juju, but that made her so tired that she had nothing on the offensive end. She was one of 11 from the floor and scored six points. So this is me flipping a negative into a positive. I, I, I hope you like it. Juju struggled, but the other team's best player, <clears throat> excuse me, with Reagan Beers not being out, Talia Van Olhoff, and she had to work so hard to limit Juju Watkins that she had nothing on the offensive end. And so USC, they go on to win by eight points. And I, I think that was the big story that Van Olhoff and played really well defensively. She had the big game the two nights before against UCLA, and she was just tired, I think. And that happens when you do a good job defending Juju Watkins. It's a full-time job. And Without Reagan Beers being in the game, she had to uh, take a bigger scoring load. She just couldn't do it, which I don't really blame her because she did such a good job on the defensive end. And then my last one, Mackenzie Forbes, every bucket in the second half she made was so clutch. So she hit a two that put USC up 46-38. She had a three that put him up 49-40. And then she had another two that put him up 53-45. Juju just didn't have it on offense. Every time Oregon State went on a run and that building got loud, Mackenzie Forbes was clutch, hit those shots. And I felt like even though the stats aren't going to blow you away, I, I thought you can't really measure clutch, but she was so, so good in that second half and a major, major reason why the game wasn't closer and a major, major reason why USC won. I, I thought she had one of her best games of the year. Yeah, and, and with her making those shots, it allowed USC to never get in that crunch time environment where the yep. crowd's all in it, going wild, and you tighten up a little bit. You know, it's just a natural reaction. Um because, but you take care of business before it gets to that crunch time situation, like the women of Troy did, and like the men's team does not, then that's how you avoid that type of situation. Even the, the Utah game, there were times where USC you know, could have kind of pulled away um, in that one to where it wouldn't have been that type of situation late. Uh, you know, Utah goes in that 6-0 run in the you know final, what, four minutes or so when USC was up by eight. And you wouldn't have to have that block at the end that that changes things. Um, so the women of Troy, I've done such a better job in those type of things of of taking care of business when they need to to avoid those type of late game situations that can can come up and bite you on the road, in particular against a, a really good team. Uh, my three positives: How about taking care of the basketball again? They've been so good with limiting turnovers. Only 14 turnovers in two games. A lot of credit's got to go to Juju Watkins on this. Now I think she had five in one of the games. But she's handling the ball so much that when you say limit the turnovers, it all inevitably comes back to her, basically. It comes back to her, McKinsey Forbes, and Kayla Padilla for the majority of, of those. Um, but 14 turnovers in two games. Kayla Padilla, I don't know if she had, had one. I don't think she did. I know she didn't have one in the, in the Oregon State game, but she continues to be fantastic in that. I thought that was really important. They only had, uh, they only had five against Oregon. You know they had nine against uh, against Oregon State, but you know that they still I think won that battle. Taking advantage of Beers being out in the Oregon State game, you know she gets a basically I was told it's probably a broken nose um, from an Oregon State source, so you know she's out for that game. She leaves the the UCLA game. Can we touch on real quick. I know you watched the end of it, Connor. I watched the end of it. That UCLA Oregon State finish was. Amazing. That was fantastic basketball, shot making, elite shot making. The last 30 seconds, there was like 
108 points scored, it felt like, because <laughs> it was timeout, advance the ball, someone knocks down a big shot to go ahead. Timeout, advance the ball, someone knocks down a big shot to go ahead. It was a fantastic game, um, and I know you got the chance to watch it, so I don't know if you had any thoughts on that one. I know we're going out of lane, but whatever. Amazing. My only complaint was that just the timeouts, it, it took a long time, but when the shot making and the, the clutchness, if that's a word, uh, is on the full display like that, then I, I don't have a huge problem with it. And yeah, Van Olhoffen hit that big three to, to win the game. I, I love how in the women's game, timeout advanced the ball. Like you said, that just allows for more opportunities like that, where you're going to get easier offense because you're just further down the court. And that was amazing. Epic shot making. We saw when USC played Oregon State on that Sunday at, at noon, neither team was really shooting the ball to begin the game. I think uh, both teams they they shot the crap out of the ball. Then that in that first uh, <laughs> that first game of, of the this it was a homestand for, for Oregon State. It was a road trip for USC, but yeah, that that clutch those clutch shots were awesome, and that was huge for for USC because now they're a game ahead of UCLA in the standings. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Yeah, so USC was going to move in front of somebody because of that matchup uh, if they took care of business against Oregon State, and they did that. And part of it was taking advantage of Beers being out. She got took an elbow to the face, probably a broken nose, so she doesn't play in the USC game. And USC has a plus 15 rebounding advantage in that game. So they really attacked the glass. They were able to take advantage of Beers being out. Now, Beers didn't play a ton in the first matchup either because she was in foul trouble, but USC had 18 offensive rebounds, that led to 20 second chance points. And when you only score 58 points, (laughs) it's it's pretty notable that you, you know, uh, a third of your points, more than a third of your points are on second chance opportunities. And a big part of that is Reagan beers, not being the game. And then my last positive is defense. Defense. (laughs) They continue to play really good defense. Juju Watkins does not get enough love for her defense. She's fantastic blocking shots, getting steals, just her her basketball IQ and knowing where to be in the right spot. And then she uses her height and length to just bother shots. Even when she's in foul trouble, she knows how to – she's played much better recently when she's gotten a couple fouls early. Um, But you hold Oregon State to 32.8% for the game. You held uh, Oregon to 33.3%. So – when you hold teams under 35%, you're going to have a really good chance of winning, especially with the offensive weapons that USC has. So the defense has been outstanding, particularly recently, and that's why this team has a chance to do something special is because not only that Juju Watkins can score the ball and McKenzie Forbes can score the ball, it's that they play really good defense. So when Juju goes 6 for 32, they still beat a top 15 team by eight points. Like That's that's super impressive. How about on the negative though? We got to we got to look for the negative. So, uh, what, what about on your? What's the double for your triple double this week? I forgot to shout out Raya Marshall. She was included in my last up with Mackenzie Forbes. Just the seventeen rebounds. Wanted to give her some love. She she played great. So these aren't really USC centric. My first down. I was just bummed that Reagan Beers wasn't able to play because I was really looking forward to her not potentially being in foul trouble and just how USC would defend a really good interior player because I feel like we were kind of robbed of that in the first game because she was in the foul trouble and then she doesn't play at all in the second game. I, I think she's one of the best players in the Pac-12. The numbers back that up. I, I was excited to see how USC's bigs competed against her. That, of course, didn't happen. But Oregon State, without her, she only played seven minutes, Reagan Beers, before getting hurt. They still beat UCLA, so I, I still think it's a very significant win, USC winning on the road, even though Oregon State didn't have their leading score. And then my second down shotgun, I thought the officiating in the game was pretty crappy. There were some offensive fouls called on USC that I 
just shook my head at. Caitlin Davis was whistled for one, and she was just playing excellent defense. I thought at the end of the game, some of the reviews, it was taking a long time, which I know that just sort of happens, but uh, I, I wasn't blown away by the performance of the referees. I don't think they did anything like too egregious to the point where it obviously cost USC the game, but there were just some questionable calls and I'm all about efficiency and those reviews at the end of the game, those are not efficient. They take a long, long time. And the one official with uh, who was kind of leading the charge with, with those reviews, she, she got on my nerves. So there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the game did take a long time because the, Oregon, I was at an Oregon State baseball game and they were finishing up and I'm like, all right, I need this game to end so I can send out my tweet real quick. So I can go down the field do it. And it's like, come on, come on. Come. Yeah. Like the game should be over now. Go on. Go on. <laughs> um, because they're up by what? Eight points or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, there's three seconds left and they're like, we're still taking forever. It's like, come on, let's go. Uh, by the way, Oregon State baseball is going to be really good this year. Travis Bazana, if you get a chance to get out and see him, he's an Australian. He's going to be a top five pick. And he's super fun to watch. He dropped dropped uh, dropped two jacks in the game um, uh, that I was at, and then I chatted with him afterwards. He's he's such a fun player to, to talk to. You know that Aussie accent never go, never is disappointing. That's why we love we would love for Harrison Hornery to become a, a dude for USC. So we can chat with him a little bit more too. But on to my two negatives: thirty two field goal attempts is too many for Juju. It's too many unless yep. she's shooting. Over 50%, it's just too many. Like, they need someone else to step up and take more shots and you know, run more sets for other people um, because, one, she's going to tire out from that. You know, that's just a ton of usage for her. Um, and when it's inefficient like that, it's time to pass the ball and get someone else involved, run a, a play for someone else. Uh, it, it's hard to say that because she's so good that you say, in the final five minutes, though, she'll figure it out. She'll, she'll find a way. So what I would like to see different – I don't really it's she only shot actually looking at it she shot 20 times in the first half and only 12 times in the second half the thing though is where are the free throws she only yeah. shot two free throws in the second half gotta start attacking downhill and creating that contact because she's so good at the free throw line she only had five attempts this game so and that that's partially the way the refs were calling the game so I know that plays into it but 32 field goal attempts, that number goes down to 28 if you get four, fouled four times and her free throws go up. You know, she, she's got 13 free throws and she's 12 or 13 for the game because she's going to make every one of those. So that is a lot different to me, you know, having 13 free throws and 28 field goal attempts versus the other way around. So I would like to see, you know, trying to get downhill, try to get to the free throw line a little bit more. Sometimes she there's games where she doesn't do that and, you know, she relies on her outside shot. A little bit too much, in my opinion. And again, this is all nitpicking because she's so freaking good, guys. Um, I don't want anybody to think that I'm trashing on her or anything. But my other negative was just six players basically playing in that Oregon State game. And we've talked about the usage and you know the concerns of that as the season goes on. Um, but that's always a concern for me. If you if you get you super shrink down your rotation, I mean, they did have eight players technically playing the game, but Kayla Williams and Clarice Akamwafu only played one minute each. So, you know, is that something that comes back to bite them at the end? It's always something I'm watching as the season progresses for these. Let's move on to our juice section, though. Juju Watkins, like we said, didn't have a great game against Oregon State. You know what she did before that, though? She dominated Oregon. So another 30-point game. She drops 33 in it, 12 of 25 shooting. This is the efficiency you're looking for, 6-7 from the free throw line. So she missed two free throws this week. I don't know if she's okay. You know, I mean, I had to check on her after last week. I was 
you know, talking about how she was shooting 91% from the free throw line, a little bit rare to see her miss a couple of free throws, but her 33 points ties the school record for 30 point performances in a season with Cheryl Miller. They both now have 10 even more impressive to me. She is now tied Lisa Leslie for 30 point performances in her career. The Lisa Leslie that scored 100 points in the first half of a game and the other team walked off the court. Same Lisa Leslie. So uh, this is, it's, uh, you know, definitely stands out that that's what she has been able to do. Uh, what stood out to you about Juju Watkins this week? Well, just something that we haven't hit on yet. She did get hit in the face in the second half against Oregon, which is why the, the numbers weren't as, I think big as maybe they could have been because she had that great first half. She still gets the 30 points and she came back. She was fine. I wonder shotgun if that affected her in the Oregon state game a little bit. I think obviously if she had a concussion or something serious, she wouldn't have played, but the fact that she did take that hit, she looked very uncomfortable, even though she returned and then has one of her worst games of the year following. I, I, I wonder if that uh, had anything to do with that, but Still, she's affects, she affects the game in so many ways. And you mentioned the defense and the rebounding. 32 field goals, probably too many. I will say she missed a lot of looks that she usually makes. So I think with her, sometimes it's like, I'm just going to keep shooting because I'm so good. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad strategy. You're right, though. 32, that's probably a little bit too many. She uh, One thing we should know is how could she's been recently rebounding the ball? Yeah. Um, she's averaging 7.1 rebounds now per game to go along with her 27 and a half points per game while shooting over 40% while shooting, uh, you know, 34.5% for three. That's the number that you would like to see a little bit better. 85% from the free throw line, but she is, re- she's averaging eight rebounds the last six games. Um, and she had 11 against Oregon state. She had eight against Oregon, seven against Arizona, seven against Arizona state. So she's consistently being a factor on the glass and helping them out. And that enables them when she rebounds, that enables them to do more with their lineups. You know, you can, you know, you go small and have Caitlin Davis at the five instead of having Ray Marshall or Clarice Akamwafu in there. You can do different things as when Juju is because Juju can rebound. That makes you makes it that much easier to do those things. We should also point out she swept the Pac-12 awards again. She's now got it. What I think I think the number's so high that I'm running. I, I don't know if I if I'm remembering correctly. I think it's 13 now. Pac-12 freshman of the week honors out of 14 weeks that USC has played games. That's pretty good. That seems like it's a that'll, that'll do. Um, but she earns her third Pac-12 player of the week honor as well. Um, even though she struggled in that that Oregon State game, she also was named a Sullivan Award semifinalist which goes to you know the most outstanding athlete at the collegiate Olympic level. She's also named to the Naismith Player of the Year midseason watch list. I think she was named to one other Player of the Year watch list as well. So just continues to see her name pop up all over the place because she's that good. She is pretty dang good. I think she'll probably take a backseat to Caitlin. <laughs> can't even talk. Caitlin Clark for a lot of those awards, but yeah. the fact that She's in a position to be on those watch lists. The future is obviously bright. How about on the other side of the Zay portion of our juice is Isaiah Collier. Isaiah Collier has been on a tear recently, you know, as far as his numbers and stuff, 25 points, career high, nine rebound. I mean, nine assists, excuse me, to one turnover. 
against Colorado. Now, ultimately, didn't get the win. Um, he was been fantastic against Cal. Ultimately, didn't get the win because he missed a free throw late. But what have you thought about Isaiah Carter? What stood out about him, whether it be on or off the court here in the last couple of weeks? Well, I always like when players who are clearly talented, maybe it doesn't go exactly the way they thought, and then they regroup and they bounce back. And Isaiah's done that these last four games. Yes, USC's one and three. Yes, he had some chances to maybe lead some of those uh, games uh, with a win instead of uh, a loss. But I, I think he's playing really good basketball, and it just shows me like when he was hurt, it was okay. His shooting's down. The turnovers, they're not looking really good. Where is he in the NBA draft conversation? And he's playing himself, I think, into probably a – I guess I don't know enough about the foreign players, so I, I shouldn't say like a for sure lottery pick, but I, I I think he's giving people a reason to to take a chance on him and pick him, and he's playing really good basketball. He's bounced back. That's significant to me. Sometimes you hear the noise and you can go in the tank, and he's heard the noise, responded, playing really good hoops. I'm a fan. Yeah, he's scoring. I mean, he had the bucket at the end of overtime. Uh, the first overtime, I think it was, to to tie things up. So, you know, he's been sensational for them. And like I said, that stat line will play any day. 25 yeah. points on 9 of 19 shooting, 2 of 5 from 3. If he could do that every game, you'd be happy with it. 40% shooting from 3. You'd be excited about that. 9 assists to only 1 turnover. Since he's come back from the injury, he has a 21 to 7 assist to turnover ratio. So, 3 to 1. That's positive, right? How about last week, 15 to 3? So we're talking 5 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. This is the growth we've been looking for from Isaiah Collier. He is playing his best basketball right now. And if you can start getting Boogie Ellis to play his best basketball and Kobe Johnson plays his role, now you start, if you can get a couple more pieces, you're starting to, you know, it's like, it's like the, uh, you know, the Power Rangers coming together or transformers, whatever, you know, we're trying to build the mega bot. You're getting some of the pieces, but you got to get everybody. And that's what it would take for USC to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. But we're seeing some of the star pieces are coming together. So they've got the core. Now they got to add Vinci Wachukwu playing better. You got to add DJ Rodman getting rebounds consistently. You got to add someone coming off the bench and making a couple shots. Bronny James making a three-pointer. Those type of things have to be added and then someone rebound. Like that's like the, there needs to be that glue that holds. I don't know how exactly the power Rangers or transformers are held together. They don't really ever explain that part, but the, uh, con, con, the connection points, you know, the joints, that's the rebounding to connect it all for USC to play their best. Someone has to rebound. Everyone has to rebound. It needs to be touching every different portion of the Superbot is the rebounding. So that's the big area where they're struggling right now. They're playing much better defense. That's great. But now you got to go get the ball uh, once it comes off the rim. How about on our stunting like my daddy section, Bronny James? What stood out this week about Bronny James? I think the only thing notable to me was something his dad said. Well, I, I don't know what he said. Fill me in. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the news. I guess not that LeBron said <laughs> – the draft decision will be up to Bronny. You know, whether he wants to go into the draft will be up to him. And so, you know, everyone's kind of thought like, oh, it's going to be this package deal. Oh, Bronny's definitely going. Um, you know, his dad's going to manipulate it so that he can play with his son, you know, whoever takes him. We've discussed this a couple of times. But LeBron's saying, hey, it's up to him. 
And now I'm sure it's going to be a family decision, all those, and there's going to be pressure from Bronny. I feel like to to do it because I think LeBron, like, I don't know how many years are left. Like this year could be the, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, he's just like, yeah, this is it. Especially if they go on and run the playoffs, like his body, he's been doing this for 20 years. So uh, 20 plus years, his body is, is ridiculous, but also it's a lot of wear and tear over 20 years. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's this year or next year is like, he calls it quits. So if it, if he's thinking about that and they go, yeah, well, I'm probably retiring. So if we want to do this thing, it needs to happen next year. Those things will all come into it. But for him to say the ultimately the decision will be to Bronny, that was what they said about the recruitment. You know, it was all, it was up to Bronny. It was his decision. He did it. They've left those things in his hands in the past. At least that's what we've been told because, you know, obviously Bronny is a mute and does not speak as far as uh, publicly. Um, so, you know, I think that, 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 definitely stood out as the most notable thing this week for me for, for something like my daddy section. The thing that stood out to me, and if it is his choice, I think he'll stay, but of course a lot has to uh, happen before we get to that point. I, I think shotgun, we just, we talked so much on this podcast about Ronnie just needing reps and needing to play. And I think this week we saw that against Utah, he had some magnificent defensive efforts and, and he, Maybe he didn't get a steal or a block, but he stayed in front of his man and really contributed to, to USC locking Utah down in that second half and played really well. And then at the end of regulation against Colorado, KJ Simpson gets by him, leads to the dunk for the two that ultimately ties the game, and then we don't really see him in the overtime period. And to me, if he's a guy who just is playing night in and night out and has more collegiate experience, he has the tools to make that jump to the next level. I, I'm not debating that. I just think he needs reps and he needs to play more. And this past week showed that when he has a really good defensive performance one night and then the next night he makes a mistake and USC ultimately loses, not single-handedly because of him, but it was a costly error that led to an easy layup or an easy dunk and the game goes to overtime and USC doesn't do well. I think with more reps, with more playing time, if he's able to stay healthy, have a whole calendar year of college basketball, that will do him a world of good, and we'll see him make fewer of those mistakes, be more ready for the next level, and that's what I anticipate happening if the decision truly is up to him. Because, Shotgun, you mentioned how LeBron might be done after this year. I could see him maybe retiring for a year, resting, and then coming back the following year because it's not like injuries have been a big problem with this guy. He he is still so, so good when he needs to be. And I think he still could play with Bronny, even if it is a couple years away. And even if he doesn't retire, like he's just, he, he's a menace out there. Then <laughs> you, you watch him, you know, some guys, they just hang on too long. And it's like, okay, you should probably retire. That's not LeBron at all. He's still really good. He's a little bit more limited compared to what he's been in the past. Of course, how could you not be at his age? But he's a guy who, to me, it's like, okay, he still clearly is a really, really talented guy. And I think he could hang on as long as it takes. The question is, does he want to? What are you saying at his age? LeBron is my age. What are you trying to say there, Connor? Uh, I always look at it and people are like, oh, what have you done in your life? I'm like, I haven't done anything close to LeBron. So, you know, it's wasted life, whatever. Uh, But let's move on to our next section. Let's look forward. We've talked about the past week. Let's see where they stand. And let's look at a preview for this week. We're going to get to it pretty quickly because I'm ready to get out of here. we got some stuff to do. Uh, And then we got some stuff to do, but also – we will be back together tomorrow in studio. Um, this this is being recorded on Wednesday. Tomorrow on Thursday, we will have tunnel vision. 
We'll be talking about the USC football schedule. We'll talk some basketball if you guys have some questions as well. But I will be out in L.A. for a very brief stopover on my way to the Bay Area for baseball. So uh, I will be coming to the studio and we'll do a live show. So make sure you guys tune in for that as well um, you know, on Thursday night. But, Connor, tell me, where do the Trojans stand? The women and the men, where are they standing at right now? Women number seven in the AP poll, 11th in the net, which is a five-spot improvement. And then last week, the selection committee did that first reveal, and USC was the number nine team, which would give them a number three seed in the tournament if the event started uh, today. So I thought that was encouraging. That would mean they would host those games. So that was awesome to see. In the Pac-12, they're 10-4, and tied for second with Oregon State and Colorado. And then just two stats that keep sticking out to me. Shotgun 21st and assist to turnover ratio 7th in the country in turnovers per game at 11.7. They take care of the ball and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And the PAC 12 standings, unfortunately for USC, the unbalanced schedule, Stanford's got a two game lead and Stanford doesn't really play anybody. Yeah, I think they play Oregon state one more time. They, in, instead of playing everyone twice, you know, like has been the case in past years in the PAC 12, uh, you know, they slimmed down the, the schedule. So you don't play everyone. The teams that st- that Stanford misses is they only play USC and UCLA once, and they only play Colorado and Utah once. So four games against four of the top six teams in the conference. Um, so they were fortunate in that regard. And because of that, it's looking like they are going to be the team that's going to win the regular season. Does not mean they will win the Pac-12 conference tournament. It does not mean that they can't slip up. But as of right now, being two games back to them, even though USC does have the tiebreaker, but USC just got to take care of business because they got some some big games still coming up. Um, and you know the fact that they are now tied with Oregon State and Colorado, huge game against Colorado this week because therefore it becomes a tiebreaker game. Uh, we mentioned Oregon State still has to play Stanford, so that's a tough matchup there. They could take another loss, and if you end up being in a two way tie with Colorado, they would have the tiebreaker. The further you can move up the the standings, the better, just to you know get easier games in the Pac-12 tournament and whatnot. And I think you point out the committee reveal being the number nine team before you go on the road and get two more wins, including one against a top fifteen Oregon State team. And Oregon State was in that the top sixteen, so I think they were, I think they were a four seed. I can't remember off the three seed. So USC has a win over Stanford, who's a one seed, a win over Ohio State, who's a one seed. And two wins now over Oregon State, who are seeded as well, plus a win over UCLA, who's a two seed. So like there's racking up these big time wins, and it's only going to help them when it comes to selection Sunday. That extra win against Oregon State on the road would probably have bumped them up into being the number eight team or number seven team if the committee was going to do another reveal this week, which they will not do. There'll be about a month, and they will do a second reveal um, before the. I think before the conference tournaments start. Uh, so if that's the case, that makes USC a two seed overall in the tournament in one of the, in their bracket. So, you know, it's going to run through them. And the fact that they would play at home, they just got to keep taking care of business though. Uh, what about the man? Where are they standing at right now? In the net, they're 108th, which they were 109th uh, earlier. So Woo. moving on. <laughs> in the Pac-12, 4 and 11, and uh, that's good for 11th place, 10 and 16 overall. So more of the same shotgun struggling. Yeah, we know what's going to come down for this this team is, you know, can they rebound enough? Can they play enough defense in the Pac-12 tournament and make some shots and try to go and run? 
if not, then you know that they'll end the season really struggling. I think they're what are eleven and sixteen now is what their record is. Um, so you got five regular season games left. In a perfect world, you go on a run, you win five games to get back to five hundred, and then you go into the Pac-12 tournament with confidence. That's not something we predict for USC because they haven't shown that they can do that. But, you know, we start with a rivalry game and you just try to build from there. So we'll see if they can do that. Let's start there, though. The men play this Saturday night against UCLA, 7 p.m. game. The game will be on ESPN. Rivalry matchup. What are you expecting out of this one, Connor, after the last game uh, when USC played UCLA? It was a 15-point win for UCLA, and they dominated the game. You know, USC couldn't do anything on offense. They didn't have their prime scores, but UCLA shut down everything, and USC goes on wicked long scoring droughts, and that's when UCLA was able to take advantage. I do think this game will be close. I don't anticipate USC getting run out of the gym, as we've seen against Stanford, uh, some road games in the past. I, I don't anticipate that happening. I do think it's going to be close. I'm concerned about UCLA. They are so good at grinding out these wins. I know they just lost to Utah. That's sort of been their kryptonite this year, but – before they'd won six in a row, dating back to that first USC game. They're limited, like USC is limited, but they've been able to win more games. So two minutes left, tight game. I sort of would think UCLA would out-execute USC, but hey, that's why they play the game. So I'm expecting it to be close. I'm expecting it to be low scoring with the way UCLA plays defense. And I think it comes down to Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis. Can they get big scoring efforts from those two? If they can, USC will have a great chance. If they don't, I think it'll be a tough afternoon for him or a tough night, I should say. Games at seven. Yeah. And if you can rebound, if you play defense, you're in every game. Um, you know, UCLA is coming off of a loss to Utah. Their fresh their star freshman, Sebastian Mack, got ejected from that game. Uh, he would not be suspended. I do not believe. I don't believe that's the rules. I tried checking it real quick and I'm always confused on when when guys get ejected. I, I didn't see yeah, I didn't see any suspension. I looked that up too. I, I never want guys to get suspended unless they really deserve it. But like that hit to me, I wouldn't be shocked if he, he was, he's not going to be, but I, that was a little bit surprising. I mean, he went out of his way, elbowed Carlson right in the face. That to me, I feel like if he was in the NBA, that's probably at least like a two game suspension, but he's just trying to help Carlson's face out. That's all. No big deal. <laughs> um, but there, like we said, don't think there's a suspension there. Uh, it's not like the targeting rule in college football where you get suspended, which is, Dumb if you're not going to suspend something for a blatant hit like that, but you do in a different sport, whatever. Anyway, big matchup at Poly Pavilion. USC has struggled at times there. They've had success there. You know, the last five years have been a very roller coaster uh, ride of emotions in, in Poly Pavilion with different outcomes coming in different, you know, in different years. So it'd be fun, you know, and I think with the way Boogie Ellis played last game. You have a lot of confidence going into this one. You know, I know that Mick Cronin's calling him a Bruin killer. He didn't really do much last time they played. Uh, so I think this is the opportunity, you know, for him to break out and have a big rivalry performance. And that would be great to see because that means the game will be tight and that means it'll be fun uh, coming down to the wire. What about on the women's side? They have an important week, arguably. I mean, man, it's always, it's, it's always important in the rivalry game, but is it more important for the women? You got Colorado at home. They got Utah at home. They play Colorado Friday night at 7 p.m. It'll be on Pac-12 Network. USC has played both these teams. They lost late uh, in the game against Colorado. They got blown out by Utah. 
is this more important weekend for the men or women? Let's start there. It has to be the women. So I'll, I'll just go out on a limb and say that every time you play a rival, it's a big deal. But the, the women, I mean, these are two teams in Colorado and Utah who USC has lost to. They want to get this thing sorted out, show everyone in the Pac-12 in the country, hey, we might have lost to Colorado and Utah on the road, but we are a legit team. We're going to make a big run in March. And the way to do that is to beat teams who've beaten you in the past. So I think the Colorado game, I remember the podcast we did way back. I, I thought USC had a great chance to beat Colorado on the road. They end up losing 63-59. I, I think USC still has a great chance to beat Colorado. They're not exceptional here, there, and in, 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 in area. Like they don't have one thing that, okay, they do this really well. That's going to kill USC. I think they're just a really well-rounded team. And I, I feel the same way about the Trojans. And I, I think they have a great chance. The Utah game, you got to stop Alyssa Peely because she scored 37 points at home in that last game, 13 of 16 shooting. She just went off. That was one of the best performances of the year. Juju Stanford performance a little bit better, of course, but Alyssa Peely is in that conversation in terms of great players. So uh, you slow her down. I think that's the key to success in that second game. Yeah, she only missed three shots in the game, 13 <laughs> to 16. That was honestly, that is just as impressive as Juju's. The point total is not as high, but when you yeah. don't miss any shots, one, you go, uh, somebody get her the ball more. <laughs> so she can shoot a couple more shots. Uh, for Colorado, they're coming off a of two losses, back-to-back losses yeah. to Oregon State and to Utah the last two weeks. So, you know, they've slipped down to number 11. Um, they're 20 and five on the year. There are a lot of teams, and this is how quickly you can slide in the women's basketball rankings. There are a lot of teams with three and four losses. So if USC slips up in these two, they will go from, you know, sitting at number, what are they, seven this week, from seven in the top 25 to 15 to 17. Like the slide is is really quick. So they got to take care of business. You're playing at home. Go out and, you know, make the adjustments against Colorado. Try to take care of business. You got to slow down Jalen Sherrod. She's so quick. If you can stop her from creating for everyone else, then, you know, their offense can get stagnant. Um, you know, Arnett Vonley down low, big body, can can really uh, affect the game there. Quay Miller's the one that really hurt him last time. And the UCLA game, the, the game before, I'd watched that game, and she couldn't make anything. And then against USC, she made, like, everything. So she's a little bit of a matchup. Uh, she's a four that can stretch the floor a little bit. So that's something that McKenzie Forbes or Caitlin Davis is going to have to take that. And then you're going to have to have, uh, you, you know, Rhea Marshall or Clarice Akamafu down low on Vonley. It's it's a challenging, it's a challenging matchup because of you know they're similar to USC. They have shooters on the outside. They have big bodies down low. Their four can stretch the floor. Um, and then they have a speedy point guard. So they present some different matchup challenges than some other teams do. So that's why the Colorado has been so good this season. Utah, like you said, Alyssa Peely just dominated. It, you should have some inside knowledge. <laughs> she played at USC. You got to figure out some way to slow her down. Um, they're a beatable team. You know, they you take care. If you want, give her 37 points and let the rest of the team score 15 and you'll win the game. You know, if that's what it takes, you know, where you single cover Alyssa Pili and don't let her, you know, feed anyone else, and she goes for 50, the rest of the team has 12, I still like your chances. You know, so I, you, there's two different ways to look at it. Like, all right, we got to send double teams, triple teams at her and stop her, or we'll let her get hers and no one else gets any. 
you know, there's two different ways to go about it. We'll be interested to see what USC does after what happened in the first matchup where USC was just not competitive at all. They didn't make any shots, and uh, Utah was able to pull away with that one. Maybe their worst game of the year. We could debate that. So I'm sure they want to get that, uh, get the ship righted and show Utah, hey, we're better than we showed that last time. We'll see what happens, though. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Please help us out and like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. Also, we always welcome your feedback, your comments, your questions, your concerns, your dis- disdain for what we do. Whatever it takes. You know, we want that email. So send us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Beat the Bruins. Oh, look at him going out on a limb here. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratlin, saying thank you to USC men's assistant coach Jay Morris for joining the show. Thank you to my co-host, Connor Morissette, and thank you to everyone out there for taking the time to listen. Hopefully, you will join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.